God's story begins like this. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke all of it into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He, he, he simply spoke, and there it was. And everything in the beginning was in perfect harmony, perfect peace, perfect relationship. Everything was perfect. And God created Adam, and he created Eve. And after creating them, he very graciously gave them the ability to rule and reign over all of his creation. He he said, reign, rule over creation, subdue it, care for it, multiply, fill the earth. But I only have one rule for you. In, In all of creation, just don't eat from this tree. Don't eat from this one tree. Because the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Well, we know the story as you fast forward that Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan in the form of a serpent. He was more craftier than anything else the Lord God had created. And Satan tempts them and he tells them, "Uh, did God really tell you that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve said, that's not what he said. He said, we can't eat from one tree because if we eat of it, we'll die. And he says, no, you won't die. No, you won't die. He lies. He's a liar. And he lies and he says, you, you won't die. God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because the moment you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll be like him. Well, Eve bought into the lie. She believed it and she forgot the truth that they had been created in God's image and they were already like God. But nonetheless, she grabs the fruit and eats it. And then she passes it on to her husband who is standing right there the whole time and he eats as well. And in that instant, sin enters the world. And rebellion and the harmony is gone. And now instead of walking in perfect relationship, looking face to face with God, ruling and reigning over all of his creation, now they're hiding from God and they run and they cover themselves with fig leaves that they just crudely crafted for themselves and created. And God comes searching for him, though. He says, where are you? He loved him so much he came looking for them. And, and he finds them and he addresses their sin. And one of the things he does right away is he promises, hey, what you've messed up, I'm going to fix. He, he dishes out the, the consequence and the punishment for their sin that, that Eve would have pain in childbearing, Adam would have pain in his labor, and uh, the serpent would, would crawl on his belly for all time, and that there would be enmity between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring, but that the woman's offspring... Even though the serpent's offspring would bruise his heel, he would crush his head. He would win. And that was good news. That was great news that God was going to bring restoration and redemption and rescue to these people who had messed up. Then he provides for them adequate covering and he kills an animal and he gives them uh, loincloths to wear. And Well, time goes on as you go throughout Scripture then from Genesis 3 and you move forward. It's tracing that promise that God made. And how is God going to fulfill that promise? How is God going to fix all this? And he, he chooses a guy named Abram. And then through, from Abram through Isaac. And Isaac through his son Jacob. And Jacob has uh, 12 sons. And ultimately through Judah. And you, you go down through the line. And then you meet a guy named David. And God makes a promise to him that that, that, the, that promised seed is going to come through him. And he's going to reign as king. 
And you move forward and forward and forward until finally you get to the New Testament, you get to the Gospels, and we learn who this promised one is. He has a name, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he comes on the scene in a way that nobody expects. It's God clothed in flesh. God puts on flesh, fully human, fully God, and he lives totally in his humanity, and he lives the perfect life, the one that Adam and Eve were called to live, but they failed. And just like Adam and Eve, he's tempted, but unlike Adam and Eve, he doesn't sin. He combats the enemy when he faces him in the wilderness. He combats the lie with the truth instead of just believing the lie like Adam and Eve did. And then he goes on and eventually he pays the penalty for their sin and for my sin and your sin. He dies on the cross to rescue us. And not only did he die on the cross, but he rose again the third day, securing our salvation. And that's the rescue. But it's not the end of the story because it points us forward to the end of the story where if you want to relate it to adoption, not just the papers are signed, but he's coming to get us. And there's going to be restoration where Jesus comes again and he makes everything, all things new. And today we get to the end of the story where really there is no end to the story because we spend forever with God. And that's where we're at in the story this morning. We're wrapping it up. We've been looking at just the overarching plot line of Scripture and really the overarching plot line of all of human history. And it ends with us being forever with God. Let me pray. And then we're going to look at what that might, what that will mean and what that might look like for us. When we get to consider what it's like to be forever at home with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our rescue. Thank you that he came and lived the life that I cannot that he lived the life that none of us can. That, that while we were and are unfaithful, he's faithful. Thank you that he's our rescue and our hope and our redemption. Our, our substitute on the cross. That he paid the penalty that I deserve, that Adam and Eve deserve for our sin. Yet he was without sin, but he became sin for me. And he took my sin and in exchange gave me his life. Father, thank you for that. Uh, I pray this morning that as we look forward uh, toward the end, and really not just the end, but only the end as we know it, really the, the future of the story, that you'd ignite our hearts with that. That you would give us um, encouragement and joy to press on, encouragement and joy in what you're doing, and that that would motivate a life of great faithfulness in each of us individually and in us as a church, and that the joy of knowing that truth would, would shine brightly through our lives. Father, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He takes your word and twists it, just like he did with Adam and Eve. Help us to be more like Jesus and to combat the lie with truth and to live the lives that he lived for us. Encourage our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever think about heaven? What it'll be like? You ever thought about it? Forever. That's a long time. 
Because forever. Can you even get your mind around that? I can't. Like, I, I can barely think past next week. And to think forever, like for, forever. Or to quote squints, forever. Like, I, that's incredible. And forever we'll be with God, with our creator, with our father. Here's how it's described by the, uh, the apostle John in Revelation. When this time comes, he says, no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants. Hey, that's you. Do you know you're in the Bible? You're in the story. You're written into the story multiple times in Revelation. This is just one of them. And his servants will worship him. That won't just be with singing. That'll be with everything you do. You'll express his worth. That's what worship is. It's worth-ship. You worship a lot of stuff. I worship a lot of stuff. We, but, but in that day, we'll worship God perfectly. They'll see his face. Maybe, maybe you reread it and you just put your own name in there or just a personal pronoun. In that day, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And I will worship him. I will see his face. His name will be on my forehead. And night will be no more. No more daylight savings. It's done, right? They will need, I'm going to need no light or lamp. I won't need the sun. For the Lord God will be my light. And I will reign forever. And ever with him. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? That's the end of the story. And really, in a sense, it's just the beginning of the story of eternity. When you read about the word heaven being used in scripture, when you go through scripture, there's, there's kind of three different ways that the Hebrew and Greek terms for heaven are translated and what they mean. They're, they're often translated heaven, but they kind of mean three different things. First is this idea of uh, in, in the, the heavens, just the atmosphere, the, the, the air you breathe, in a sense. The sky is the heavens. But also, there's a certain sense where the heavens, this second level, the heavens is, is the stars and the sun and the moon. And space is what we'd call it today, right? Outer space, it's the heavens. Scripture speaks of that, that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. But there's also a distinct third use of these words where heaven refers to the place where God dwells. It's the dwelling place of God, the dwelling place of his glory. And Paul, when he writes one of his letters, he talks about being caught up into the third heaven I believe that's what he's referring to. He, he, he got a glimpse of, of what heaven would be like. Now, I, I don't know that I trust all the books written about what people say they've seen in heaven, especially when it doesn't correlate with what scripture says. But I'll trust what Paul says because Paul saw Jesus face to face. And, and I'll trust what the apostle Paul says. So that tells me, you know what? I don't need all those books. I just need what God wrote through Paul. That's good enough for me. To determine what heaven will be like. No longer anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. So let's just look at a handful of things of what it will be like forever with God. 
Number one, there will be no more curse. Remember, we've been talking about this story. Adam and Eve messed up, right? And, and we refer to that as the fall or the time where the curse comes and the ground. Paul, God, here's what God says to Adam in Genesis 3, 17 and 19. To Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Genesis three seventeen and 19. He says, all the days of your life, all the days of your life in pain you'll eat of it. In other words, this isn't a cursor like, uh, you go sit in the corner for a while, Adam, and then everything's going to be okay. Right? This is, it isn't time out. It, it's no... It, there's consequence for your sin for the rest of your life. And not only your life, but the lives of, of everyone who will come after you. And there'll be pain. Think about that. Up to this point, Adam and Eve, when, when they farmed, when they grew food to eat, there was no pain in it. There was no strife in it. There was no hardship in it. It was easy. It was work. But it was joyful. But now, all of a sudden, in their work, there's going to be pain. Thorns and thistles. You'll, they'll, they'll plant good seeds, but weeds are going to grow. Do you ever have that in your own work? Where you have good intentions for what you intend to happen, and you, you plant these good seeds, and then what grows? Thorns and thistles. And sometimes the attitudes and desires of other people. Right? It's because of the curse. Your work is cursed. My work is cursed. By the sweat of your face, he tells Adam. In other words, work is going to be hard. But look at what Revelation 22, 3 says. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed. That's great news. Have you had a hard week? There'll be no such thing in heaven as a hard week. It's always going to be the best week of your life. You're like, how can that be? I don't know, but it will. There'll be no pain, no sorrow, no death, no suffering. Dream about that a little bit this week. Let that motivate you when you, you face the curse this week in your life. In that day, nothing will be accursed. And that, number two, Jesus will be in the city and we will see his face. You're going to see Jesus' face. You're going to see him face to face one day. If you know him. And in that place, there'll be uninterrupted intimacy with God. You got a question for Jesus? You just run over and ask him. <laughs> you want to spend time with him? That's all it is. It's gonna, it'll be fantastic. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Verse 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Remember a guy in the Old Testament named Moses? Moses couldn't see God's face, could he? Because the moment in Exodus 33 and 34, if he would have seen God's face, if he would have seen God's glory and beheld him for who he was, he would have died. It would have been so magnificent. He couldn't have lived had he seen him. But when the spirits completed our sanctification and when we're with Jesus for eternity, forever with God, we'll see him face to face. 
I'm telling you, that will be the most magnificent thing there is because God himself is the most magnificent thing there is. And for him to share his glory and his goodness and his love with us in that way forever is incredible. The throne in, in that place in heaven, speaking of it in these verses, the, the throne of God and the lamp will be in it. No, no temple. There'll be no temple in heaven. No temple. In fact, Revelation 21 says, uh, John writes, he says, I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it its light and its lamp is the Lamb. Do you know why the temple existed in the Old Testament? It was so, see, God had made a promise in Leviticus to his people. He had said, I will make you my dwelling place among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. And he's going to walk among them. He's going to be with them. And so this was a tangible expression of God being with his people. What happens in the New Testament? Jesus dies on the cross. And one of the things in the temple is there was this huge, thick curtain that divided what was called the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And the priest would go in and offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. But once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would actually go through the curtain into the Holy of Holies to the presence of God himself and offer sacrifice. But it was separated. And this curtain represented our sin. Listen, God, God cares for us, but there's a huge separation, a major separation between us and him in our sin. And this would have been evident to the high priest each time he goes in on the Day of Atonement. But when Jesus dies on the cross, that curtain, do you remember what happens? Torn into. It rips top to bottom. And now, what does that signify? Uh, The high priest, the great high priest, Jesus himself, has gone in and he's made atonement for your sin and for my sin with God. And so now the the curtain's open, man. Come on in. come, Come spend time with the Lord. Get to know God face to face. You can have relationship with him. You don't need a priest to go sacrifice for you. The high priest has already done it all. And there's nothing you can add to it. It's finished, is what he said. It's over. Well, because of this, there's no need for a temple anymore. And we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And by the way, the church isn't God's house. I've said this before, right? Every house is God's house. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That includes everything. Your house too is God's house. So a little, little pet peeve. I'm going to go on my little soapbox here, right? When you see a kid running around in the church, don't tell them don't run because this is God's house and you don't run in God's house. No, tell them don't run because you're going to smack your head on the, on the, on the pew and it's going to hurt. Or you're going to break a window and I'm going to have to pay for it. But to run in, it's not because it's God's house. Every house is God's house. And God's presence is with us everywhere, not just here. Don't, don't foolishly teach him that somehow God's presence isn't everywhere else, that it's only in the church. Live it out in your own home. And, it's, and, and he, the Holy Spirit dwells within us if we've trusted Jesus, right? Well, in this day, not only will we have the Holy Spirit, but we'll see Jesus face to face. Perfect intimacy. No more sin clogging the pipe, so to speak, in our relationship with the Spirit and with Jesus. That'll be a great day. Well, not only this, but number three, his name will be on our foreheads. Does that sound strange to you? You're going to have his name written on your forehead? Well, whenever I get a new book, 
I take a book and uh, I take it and I write my name in the corner, like right inside the cover. And anymore, I don't do this because oftentimes anymore I'll, I'll buy uh, digital books. So I don't, I don't buy very many physical books anymore. I usually buy them and read them on my Kindle or my iPad or my computer. But when I have a physical book, that's the first thing I do is I write my name in the corner. Why, why would I do that? Why would I open it up and write my name here? And now I've even got this thing. It's this cool little stamp somebody gave me for my birthday. Pastor Stephen actually gave it to me a couple years ago and when he was here. And I put it on the paper and I stamp it down. And then it, it like stamps my name into it. So I can literally like stamp my name right into the book. It's kind of cool. Now, why would I do that? Why would I do that? Why do you put your name on stuff? To mark it as your own, right? Well, that's the idea here, that when Jesus puts his name on our forehead, when God puts his name on us, he's marking us as his own. You ever see Toy Story? Pick up Woody, turn him upside down. What's on his foot? Andy, right? It has Andy's name right on the bottom. Why? Because Woody belongs to Andy. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, he's sealed you with his spirit. And in a sense, his name is on your forehead. You're his. And if you're his... You ain't nobody else's. You'll be his forever, forever with him. Jesus is expressing his rightful ownership and his rightful ownership will cover us. I'll be your God and you will be my people. I'll live with you forever. I'll dwell in your midst. Number four, another great thing about forever with God and with heaven is that darkness will no longer exist. Like I said, no more daylight savings. No more setting your clocks back. No more setting them ahead. No more knowing which one to do. It'll be great. It'll be great. No more darkness. And essentially what you need to know about no more darkness is there'll be nothing left to fear. When you were a kid, what usually scared you at night? Maybe it's just me. The closet. Ryan was scared. Because well, it's dark, right, Ryan? And you don't know what's in the closet. You don't know what's coming out. And it's, it's going to get you. But you know what? There's nothing to fear. And in a sense, we have a fear of darkness, not just physical darkness, but spiritual darkness. And there'll be none of that in heaven. No physical darkness, no spiritual darkness. We read last week that, that nothing that would corrupt his new creation would even be allowed into the new city, into heaven. There'll be no darkness whatsoever. It'll be a great day. Night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of lamp or sun. No more stubbing your toe when you go to the bathroom at night. That's just me, huh? Yeah, n- nothing, no, no darkness. Isaiah wrote about it like this. The sun shall be no more your light by day. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. It's a good spot for an amen. Your days of mourning shall be ended. Okay, I didn't say that. That's a good spot for an amen. Your days of mourning shall be ended. Amen. Amen. Revelation 21, just prior to this, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, 
and there will be no night there. Well, not only this, but finally, number five, we will reign forever. Forever. <laughs> right? Like, no, with, without end. God, think about that. God's going to let you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who's bought and purchased and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and clothed in white, we'll find out in Revelation, to be wearing white, he's going to let you rule and reign over his creation. Kind of like that moment your dad gives you the keys to the car. He gives you the keys to the kingdom. You, you will reign. You'll, you'll care for his creation. Does that sound like the garden? What did he do to Adam and Eve? He told them what? Here, here's everything I've created. Enjoy it. Just don't eat from this tree in the middle. Because when you eat of it, you'll surely die. But take care of all of it. Rule, reign, subdue it. Multiply, fill the earth. He, he puts them in charge to reign and they mess it up. But in this day, there'll be no chance to mess it up. You'll be put in charge to rule and reign and there will be no sin. They'll, they'll be, you won't even remember some of those things. For some of us, that will be a great thing, right? Where, where, where that sense of guilt and shame and fear is gone forever. Forever. And instead of being banned from eating from the tree of life like they were when they were cursed, no, there's going to be a tree in the middle of the city and you'll eat from it. There'll be new fruit on it every month. And you'll go and you'll get, you get to eat from it and live forever. It's the fruit of the month club in heaven. It's fantastic. And it, they won't have seeds in them either like that you bite down and it'll be good. Night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. And in case that wasn't enough for you, and ever. In union with Jesus as our king, we're not only going to worship his priest, but we get to reign as king with him over his creation forever and ever. And, and, and this is the glorious end of the story. He makes everything new and then he's with us in our midst forever. I'm telling you, there is no greater joy. There, there is no greater pleasure. The, the pleasures of this world are a faint shadow of the pleasure of Jesus Christ and being with him forever. They're a faint shadow of the things to come, as Paul writes in Colossians. What will it be like to see Jesus face to face? What will it be like to reign forever? What will it be like to have no darkness? What will it be like to have no shame, no sin, no heartache in, in relationship. For some, we can't imagine it because we've never experienced it. But in that day, we will. In that day, we will. This is the story that it's beyond our expectations, but it's the truth. And the truth of the matter is that you are a part of this story. You are, and I am. And your choice is how you'll respond to that. And are you going to live your life based on the true story that God's writing? Or are you going to live it based on uh, your own story? Which ends in disaster, I hate to tell you. Spoiler alert. It doesn't end well when you live according to your own story. When you refuse to accept the rescue that God provided... Uh, 
You need to back up a few verses from Revelation 22 and read what happens. That those whose the name of the Lamb wasn't written on them, that they didn't have the mark of, of Jesus on their foreheads, they were thrown with the beast and with Satan into the eternal fire uh, where their smoke goes up forever and ever. Total opposite of those who've trusted Jesus and who go to be with him forever and ever. And your choice is which story would you choose to be? What, what part in the story will you choose to play? Will you choose the part where you follow Jesus or will you choose the part where you endure his wrath? And it's up to you. But you're a part of this story. And the truth of the matter is everybody throughout human history and on the face of the earth today is part of this story. In your bulletin this morning, I have some tools for you that maybe would help you to be able to share this story with other people and invite them to be part of God's story and invite them to see the story they're a part of and respond rightly to Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And it just asks the question, how did it all begin? Well, creation, in the beginning, God, he created and there was harmony. You turn over the next page. Well, what went wrong? Well, there was disobedience. And there was consequence for that disobedience and people were left in need was there any hope? Yeah, there is. Because God made a promise right away in Genesis 3. And there was a promise kept in the Gospels through the life of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is doing now is he's going to make all things new so that you could spend forever with God. And if you want a tool just to help you be able to remember this story for yourself or to share it with others, there you go. And not only this, if you just want something that's a little simpler... How about this one? It has those same graphics we've been using, just this little card. And it just talks through those four major parts of the story, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. And, and maybe you'd be able to use this to share this with your family or to share this with a coworker or someone God would bring into your life and you could share the story with them. It's just a tool to help you and to help you to remember the story that you're a part of. Well, with that, um, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing and take our offering. And uh, we'll call it a morning. But as we do, as we sing, and even as you leave this week, consider your part in the story. That you're not the star of it. Jesus is. But you get a, you, you get a pretty important role in moving that story forward, just like everyone else throughout history. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And thanks for your grace to us through him. And... Um, Thank you this morning as we wrap up uh, looking at your story. Um, Father, sometimes it's, we look at different parts of scripture or we um, hear different things said and, and we don't know the context of it. We don't, we don't understand where it, where it fits into to your overarching story. And when you share the gospel with others, oftentimes they don't have a clue how it fits into the story and they don't understand that they're already a part of it. That, that they're in the line of Adam and Eve, that, that just like us, they've sinned and messed up and deserve your wrath. But they also need to know that there's hope and that there's hope in Jesus for them and for the things that, that they've messed up, the things they've done and that they haven't done, that, that you offer hope and restoration and rescue from that through Jesus Christ. And that if they would respond to that rescue, if they'd in a sense, grab on to the, uh, the, the Savior, that, that they would be saved and made new and spend forever with Jesus, forever with you.
Give us courage to share this story with others. Give us courage also, though, to live in light of it, to live it out, that, that our lives would uh, demonstrate that we're part of, of your kingdom, part of your family, part of your story. And so as we close now, Father, I pray um, we'd leave with that hope of being forever with you, that even as we sing, you'd remind us of your grace and remind us of the promise we have to be with you and in your house forever. We pray all this through Jesus, our Savior.